<laughs> Alright, welcome back to the Inglecast. So, we finally released Sorcery 4, the final part of the Sorcery Woo. franchise. Just, yay! What, two weeks ago? Is that right? Two weeks ago? Yeah, something like that. Wow! So it's done. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been epic. I remember when we first had, we were first doing interviews at PAX East in Boston, mm. what, how many years ago now? I know, and we were so young, and we were running around <laughs> with our little printed maps trying to talk yeah. to journalists and feeling oh, really you, left out of if everything. If you have one of the printed maps that we, like, might have just given to you because you walked past us at mm. PAX, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Because that would be cool, because that was the, the days before we were obviously mega stars. <laughs> <laughs> sure, exactly. The days before people said things on forums like, I've never heard of sorcery before. <laughs> Um, yeah. But yeah, and I remember we were saying to journalists, oh, it's going to be so great to have all four parts. There's like four little icons. And do you remember they side. used to always ask us, because it was like 2012, I guess, they'd always say, well, why aren't you doing the four parts as in-app purchases? And we'd mm. go like, well, we think it's probably not a good idea to release your third game as an update to your first game because no one will notice it exists yeah. at all. And looking back, that is just the best business yeah, decision yeah, yeah, we yeah. ever took, ever. Because we were definitely on the fence about it for a while. <laughs> uh, but I think it sort of partly reflects our approach to development because you know if we took a telltale approach we'd have a really strict schedule and we would have released all four parts mm, yeah. within Spoilers, a year or we two we do not have strict schedules <laughs> <laughs> that's true um, yeah. and we, we probably wouldn't have added so many game features as well it would have just been kind of pure content each, yeah, each time yeah, exactly. but on each part we've We've tried to innovate both in terms of the game features and the narrative structures. So, mm. I mean, that wasn't really it's an been option for us. Really interesting, actually, looking back at it. Like the first game was very, was really very close to the book, and I think one of the things we were doing at the time, you know, we we were innovating a lot with the combat system and the spell casting and the map and all these things which mm. no one had really done before. But in terms of the actual content. I was really worried about not changing the book too much because I had this feeling mm. there was this nostalgia market which would be furious if we changed anything. You know, mm. right down to not trying not to change the words too much mm. and making sure all the encounters that we wrote, like all the dialogue encounters, were spun out of things that were in mm -hmm. the book in the first place. I remember it was only at the very last minute when we were playtesting it when I was a bit kind of oh, there's a plague village you can't save. Maybe it'd be nice if I just added a little side plot. Yeah. You know, just a little one. And over the course of the other games like Sorcery 2 kind of broke that completely mm. although just to backpedal a little bit I remember when we first met with Steve you were really adamant that you should be able to rewrite all of the words in Sorcery 1 but I think that was only from the point of view of you weren't going to just copy and paste the mm. the words of the well, book directly. It was kind of based on previous experiences as yeah. well that I really didn't want to get into an argument about the content of the book. I just yeah. it didn't want to have to pass everything th across his desk. Yeah, it turned out that Steve was not that kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, and that like, that's been one of the best things yeah, about this entire process that he really um, has given us quite a lot of trust because I, I think what, it's been repaid. One of the biggest innovations that we felt we brought to Sorcery One was just the size of the little pieces of text that you read in between mm. choices and that just doesn't seem like a big deal anymore but back then that was a really big deal saying no we're going to have a completely different set of choices than you had in the original books yeah. because up until then like any kind of game books that have been reproduced w reproduced 
all of the details of the book down to the letter completely faithfully mm. to recreate that game book experience and it's funny uh, yeah it's you don't see that mentioned in reviews very much but every now and then a review will sort of say you know one of the remarkable things about this is it never gives you more than 200 words at a time and i don't know how they do that and you go oh yeah that was a thing that we had mm. to decide yeah to do definitely so that was kind of where our heads was at in the in the very first book but then since then we've just we've we've just kept moving and yeah. tried lots of different things well, it's, it's, i'm just trying to remember exactly how it all came together because it's yeah. quite nice to look back on it yeah. sort of doing sorcery 2 i think i i charged into that with this sense that i was just going to do what i'd done with sorcery 1 mm. and then got to the end and in the original book if you don't go down the correct path and collect up the four keys for the final door then you just get stopped Yes. And I remember we were we went to like a game festival in Norwich or something. Yeah. We were chatting in the car. Yeah, and I was like, I'm I really that. worried that people are not going to manage to finish the second game and then they're definitely yeah. not going to buy the third or fourth ones and this doesn't sound like a very good business strategy. <laughs> yeah, and so that was the point at which we started brainstorming ways of... Of getting around that. Yeah. And like the first most obvious one is, well, you don't need them and you can finish the game and burn the city to the ground, which I still think is the actual canonical plot of sorcery. That is what the hero <laughs> ought to do. Kari yeah. is a horrible place. And like most of the third game is much more fun if you did burn the city down. Right. It's interesting because my, my old school friend was just um, messaging me yesterday because he was busy playing Sorcery 2 and he was wondering, he was saying, oh, I, I can't get the, this particular spell line. Am I going to just have to let the city burn? And he sounded quite annoyed, actually, yeah, that well, you couldn't work out how to do it. I think in general, people... Because I, what I assumed that every single player would do would be to complete the game as quickly as possible, get a save, and then mm. rewind and try and, and optimise that save, and maybe they can. But that sounds like can't. a very particular way to play I that guess, might describe yeah, no, what I you might so. do or what I would do. I just but... thought that was obvious, but like that, it didn't occur to me that people wouldn't, but I think partly people have been trained by a sense of what you're supposed to do a game properly or something yeah, like, or like yeah. the game says you know if you if you go through this gate you'll be cursed and people are like, oh i really don't want to be cursed <laughs> and like it's almost like we needed to add a little red text saying don't worry it's quite fun being cursed actually yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's exactly. okay but uh yeah that kind of that's but that but that had so many knock-on effects that once we added that extra trick to sorcery 2 because that was such a big change that kind of gave us the freedom to also mess around with the geography of the city as well. And mm. actually the final city map is very different than the map mm. in the book. But I do remember that when you were working, when you were just trying to work out... I, I do remember when you were just starting on Sorcery 2, you were telling me how you were trying to find ways to restructure it in an interesting way. And you were really excited about the fact that you might be able to kind of take like completely different paths that would kind of skirt around the city in different ways and meet up and stuff. I don't know how mm. much of that was in the original book and how much was restructuring. The original restructuring. book is funny because when you read it, you have this sense of being lost in this horrible city. And part of the reason that you feel genuinely like a lost traveller is that you're on nu like numbered paragraphs, jumping from mm. paragraph to paragraph with no kind of map. You turn corners and you don't know where you are. And then occasionally, if you've read the book a couple of times, you go, oh my goodness, I've exploded onto that's, this street here. That's really interesting. And it's a lovely, lovely sensation. But, when, but as soon as you put yeah. it on a map in our app, it didn't work at all. Which is interesting because actually... The map is one of the things that we tout as one of being being one mm. of the most important parts of the series, and it's the thing that really makes it work well on an on mobile, especially with the pinch and zoom and kind of the Google Maps feeling mm. of being able mm. to explore but it a space. It definitely puts you incredibly in control and never being lost, and that's yeah, I think one of its exactly. good things is you always have a sense of 
progress and how far through you are, which is something people really, mm, really like exactly. to have. But it, it definitely has an atmospheric cost. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I'd argue that the map is maybe the most sort of solid part of the game. Like, it's mm. the one bit that you... It doesn't feel like you ever sort of, um, like, subvert expectations with it. That's like, right. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's totally reliable. We never, ever have a bit where you get to a bit of the map and then it changes and goes, ah, the map isn't like you thought right, it was. Yeah. Which Except is, in Sorcery 3. But I guess that's interesting, actually, because then when we got to Sorcery 3, I remember sitting there, we were sitting down saying, what can we add to this one to make it feel special? And that was we, where we both started, was is yeah. there a way that the player can remix? We talked map? about so many different ideas, actually. At one point, we were talking about floating islands and stuff. That you could sort of swizz around with yeah. your finger. Like, it seemed a bit <laughs> odd to be able to literally push mm. bits of the map around. It was that real question of what narratively the hell is going on. Like, yeah. like we were talking about... I remember one idea that stuck in my head was... Um, that you were saying that it would be nice if the player could choose what the land was going to be like before they went mm. into it. So, you know, the next choose that the next bit's a desert and then it is a desert. Yeah. And there was no way to make that work. Mm. Because the kind of the, the starting point that we we started from was that that Sorty 3 is all about the backlands which are weird and twisted and the world's constantly shifting and who knows what you're going to stumble across and mm. if you go forwards and go back and then go forwards again it might be completely different from yeah, exactly. what you expected. That was a really nice, that's a really nice touchstone actually, that idea that you revisit a location and it's not how it's supposed to yeah. be, that's beautifully uncanny. But I remember we were also, we didn't want to lose the sense of consistency that you got with exploring a map because otherwise it kind of feels pointless like what's the point in a map if it mm. really is constantly changing and you can't rely on it at all then you're just blind again and but, on yeah, it's, yeah. it's sort of interesting but i think it's really difficult to avoid things just being gimmicks that look yeah. like gimmicks yeah um like we were talking about this in a completely other context recently again talking about no man's sky which i'm going to drop into every podcast <laughs> we record for the next few weeks um and like how in that game you turn up on a planet and it's been randomly generated but you don't really care because it looks exactly the same as all the other yeah. generated planets but if it wasn't a game about exploring a universe but it was a game about terraforming a universe and you arrive in a universe and you kind of set some initial parameters onto your terraform bomb and then bomb the planet with it and it goes and it turns into whatever it is you told it to turn into but a real one you could explore that would probably be way cooler but that's because terraforming is an idea that exists in science fiction already it's Mm. something i would like to do whereas creating the landscape on a map that i'm about to explore in a fancy world it it doesn't connect to anything it doesn't have any Mm. it doesn't really have any legs that i could Mm. that we could find anyway so it was really nice when we hit upon the beacons idea because it's so solid yeah I can imagine that was a complete nightmare to code. Um, that's a good question. Was it a nightmare to code? It was. It was a nightmare for you, John. Certainly, the the kind of having to write all the different narrative content for all the locations, mm, which four which, times, which there was, yeah. right, <laughs> past and ancient. And there was ancient and present, and there was also day and night in each of those. Mm. Which is why a lot of locations in Sorcery Three are like it's a bloody marsh. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> um, but I don't know. From a code p- perspective, I'd say it was like a major feature, but I wouldn't say it was actually like so much bigger or more major than any of the other major features we've added really because it's it is just two maps overlaid on top of each other with a cool shader that i quite enjoyed just messing around with right i think one thing that was nice about it was we designed it without thinking about how we were actually going to be able to implement it like (laughs) i don't think it was part of the discussion was is this something we can actually achieve but once we designed it kind of you sort of went 
yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I can see how to do that. Yeah, like, I think that's I think that's things. the way I design in general. Like I when I when I'm when I put on my game design hat, my engineer hat basically comes off completely, mm. which is which is actually quite a good thing to happen. Like it's not something I can c- claim I'm doing consciously or anything, mm. but I'm quite glad that it does happen and it doesn't kind of limit me too much. Yeah, I think when I'm when I'm thinking about story and narrative stuff, I think I probably don't do that. I probably think I always have nagging at the back of me, like, is this achievable? Because okay. with narrative stuff, it's so easy for people to say, and then the completely realistic characters hold a naturalistic, randomly selected yeah. dialogue with each other. And that just happens all the time in the conversations about yeah. narrative. And you just go, well, this is just pointless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, point. yeah. But yeah. And that's yeah. why we call you Johnny Two Hats. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Not because I'm safe or Beeblebrox. I think um, as soon as it becomes more of a concrete design, like... If in the next game that we're working on, you were, you were to say, right, we're going to have a cr- massive crowd of people who, and you can talk to any of them, then, of course, I would go very cynical about yeah, that. Right, exactly. But I think for, you know, the type of design where it mm. doesn't seem like it's ridiculously overly ambitious, like this idea for Sorcery 3 of um, being able to have two maps that are overlaid with a kind of a foggy effect that reveals either layer. I mean, that in my mind, that's mm. fairly achievable. I so. remember we were very worried when we explained it to Mike because we were a bit like, well, actually, right. this is really relying on Mike being able to make a map which blends yeah. seamlessly into another map. Yeah. And he did an amazing job. Every He's time so I look good. back at Sorcery 3, I kind of, you just sort of play around with it. And it does just, it is beautiful. I love the way, the way it's the quite a subtle say. effect as yeah. well. Like, if you're not paying attention initially, you don't even notice that it's there. And then you start to notice that things are appearing and disappearing and stuff, mm. which is exactly the tone of Sorcery 3, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's just a, a landscape and then suddenly something catches your eye and there's a tree there that wasn't there before. There's something slightly wrong with it. And I love yeah. that when you actually visit those places, it genuinely backs that stuff up. Like, yeah. it is disappearing. It genuinely yeah. won't. Yeah, it's really it's exciting. Really cool. I think the other exciting thing about Sorcery 3 for me was, um, of course, the no beacons thing <laughs> that after we released it it was full of shortcuts and little tricks and traps and spells to do things which were kind of put in just you know so that there's variety and at the end of it i had a sense that it might be possible to complete the game without using any beacons but i hadn't actually ever done it and i didn't know mm. and we idly mentioned this on a blog somewhere so a touch arcade forum immediately set off to try and achieve this but they got the wrong end of the stick and they thought it was possible to kill all the serpents as well without doing a no beacons, which I was reasonably sure was not possible. But it turns out it is possible and they've managed it. And it, they started telling each other how to do it. So there was quite a reasonably large cohort of people starting Sorcery 4 who had achieved this thing, um, which really set in place an idea for Sorcery 4, which was how many emergent challenges can yeah. we construct? What's people? amusing to me is that you've always been... Uh, of the opinion that emergent gameplay doesn't really exist or that, like, you've so, been very cynical about it. Yeah, so it. it's really interesting, actually, because I've always mm-hmm. argued against, like, emergent physics being interesting because, like, or emergent, like, AI in a city being interesting. You know, mm-hmm. you do this to the guards and they run away and then you do that. It's sort of like other. procedural generation, really. Like, you have to set up the parameters so you know exactly what the parameter space is. Right. So it can't really surprise you. It's all built out of components you've seen before, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think the things that we're doing is they're made out of components which are totally bespoke and unique and baroque. So if it does any kind of, like... Output. surprising yeah, yeah exactly then it's really surprising. and you can chain them together <laughs> so it's more like building a, ro- a rude goldberg machine out of balloons and springs and levers and you can mm. think oh, hang on if i put this spring under the balloon oh my goodness it pushes the balloon up in the air that's really interesting i wonder what i can do with that mm. and yeah so but it, it 
it has been funny because it's much more emergent than I would have expected, mm. really. So currently the Touch Arcade Forum is trying to solve the problem of is it possible to complete Sorcery 4 without meeting Throben the Necromancer who curses you in quite a significant way at any point if you haven't played the previous sorcery books, which is a totally arbitrary challenge, right? <laughs> it's not a good piece of plot at all because you have to have not played one to three. If you play one to three, you can do it. It's hard, but it's relatively straightforward. Whereas if you've done it off a fresh save, it is almost impossible. And it might even be impossible, but I don't think it's impossible. But I think you have to do something quite cunning and they haven't done that yet. So I'm throwing that out there as another challenge. Okay. I just love that there are these random challenges that one can mm. build out of the components of them. Yeah, that is surprising. I feel like that's only started to become possible in Sorcery 3 is that a fair thing mm, to say when because you need the backtracking you need yeah, the open you need, world structure exactly you need there to be a bit more dynamic uh, mm. kind of gameplay yeah. I think the open world thing is a thing we haven't talked about just now either which is mm. quite interesting in that like it was a massive headache to do from a story point of view it was quite frightening as to whether it would actually be achievable because it was sort of a hack on the way that the game book structure normally works mm. um and as it is it's still reasonably repetitive if you walk around the mm. same loops because of course it is but then i but, think i, think but I you... don't think we could have shipped the game without it because i think as soon as you're forced to walk forwards the whole time in an area which looks like an open wilderness it doesn't make any sense like and i didn't see that one coming at all like i think we sat down to start work on Sorcery 3 and I had this nagging feeling of like you're trying to hunt down these serpents but if you miss one in the bush at the beginning oh, you I walk see. past it you can't go back for it well we always needed we always realised we needed some device like we had in Sorcery 2 I guess right. Sorcery 2 gave you a device that let you go back if you missed you know one of your or any your of your four yeah. Yeah, spell lines and so we all re- all, always realised there must be some mechanism that let you do that somehow and mm. I guess that was just a, that was right. the and way we, we solved that and problem and we didn't want to do the same thing again that we did in Sorcery yeah two. exactly yeah I guess that's true I guess that's true mm. yeah it's funny because as an outsider it doesn't sound hard it's just you know you can go forward why can't you go back but I guess it totally means re-engineering the way you think about the story yeah, and it, probably I mean, a lot of the, the code too ink- level the story used to be kind of a blob that moves to a blob that moves to a blob that moves to a blob and each blob is kind of mm. a scene or a, a place and and i guess that's an in, that's a different way of thinking about interactive fiction than the standard parser model which is built out of rooms where you yeah. can go backwards and forwards right exactly. and you're always expecting to see a repeating paragraph every time you mm. re-enter a room mm. it says you're back in the whatever so wherever. to build sorcery three and then four it was much more like a parser based model in that each location has a little blob with kind of entry points and exit points so that it has an, an intro stitch, a kind of main description stitch, a, a set of options, an exit, and where it links to. And you write those first and then you fill in the detail of what's actually happening in that room, mm. um, which is a completely different way to structure it. And but it's, but it's interesting really because, because Ink favours the kind of the more standard choose-your-own-adventure kind of model, um, which is kind of cool because it allowed us to always fall back to that mm. and always allowed us by default to have lots of bespoke narrative content. Mm. Um, I think that that's the thing I've really enjoyed about it, definitely, is is writing parser-based things. You could do the rooms and the locations and the boxes, and then a character would turn up and you go, oh no, I have to do a conversation and they're really hard. Mm. <laughs> Whereas Ink is the other way up. Like yeah. Rooms and objects yeah. are incredibly time-consuming and difficult and annoying, but they are at least simple. They're, and as long as you've built a system for it... Then yeah, a pattern a for pattern, it, exactly. Yeah. You can just copy-paste it and fill it in. But then as soon as you hit a character, you just go, ah, it's like sinking into a warm bath. 
because yeah. you just write a bunch of dialogue in a weave and you're absolutely fine yeah. and you know it works yeah. and I think that's definitely been a real win the whole way through mm. yeah Did but you... I can't believe it's finished yeah I mean, like, it's amazing it's actually, it's actually we did what we said we were going to do on, yeah on... Uh, I, I really appreciate that quite a few people on Twitter and stuff kind of noticed that like regardless of the quality just the achievement of having finished this series is, is kind of yeah, amazing really. it's been really really nice and like I, d- I look back on kind of how much the tool sets change and how much we've learned along the way and all that kind of thing mm. and it's quite astronomical really like yeah. one thing I was remembering about the design of Sorcery 1 is that like it's pretty jury rigged in places because the compiler was broken at the time and the scripting language was broken at the time and you couldn't mm-hmm. like you couldn't pass a parameter to a function with parameters or something like that I can't remember and I was just working around this because you didn't have time to fix anything <laughs> you were building the whole game <laughs> and I was at some point like Joe d- for Sorcery 2 can I have this feature and you're like oh my god does that not work <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah whereas by the end of 4 Ink 1 is, is pretty robust is not the right word for Ink 1 but like it's it's really <laughs> it's delivered an incredible amount of power mm. um mm. yeah yeah are there any things that you'd like to see taken forward because obviously we're not doing sorcery 5 and we're not i guess using the same engine for our next thing like, are there any aspects of the design you'd like to see other developers run with or that you think could keep going? We've, we've always talked about this whole model of having a map with story taking place on top of it being just quite a nice model. And I almost feel like it's a shame that there haven't been other developers who have just gone, oh, that's quite a nice formula. Like, why don't we just do that Steal and, it. like, make it like Pirates at Sea or something? Yeah, I would like to play a game that's like one of our games that yeah. I haven't written. <laughs> nice. Today's had a bit of that, obviously, but um, I don't know. I keep thinking that one of these days, like once my kids are a little bit older in the evenings, I might quietly write another game using the sorcery engine because all I need to do is swap the map out and the story. Yeah, but code rot, right? No, yeah, absolutely. One thing that Apple makes extremely difficult is that any time we have to make a new build of one of our older games... Uh, we find that it doesn't compile anymore or that Apple's added new requirements you have to add extra icons or new screenshots or new whatever and actually it's quite frustrating because you've you've built this whole game and you can't just reuse the same code because it doesn't work anymore Mm -hmm. yeah it's true and that I mean code is always so specific as well like I don't know what I think Ian when he was porting to Android said estimated that about a third of the whole sorcery code base is the dice game and I, I think a third is probably too high but it is extraordinarily large that one that one thing that's sort of optional and not everyone likes that much and you know it's that funny. was a funny thing actually when we added the dice game I had this idea that we would probably add a mini game to every game but we didn't really in the end mm. like the dice game was the last in the story kind of embedded that's interesting. Yeah, we didn't add any extra like game features like that kind of thing to Sorcery Four, did mm. we? I mean, I feel I, like Sorcery Three def- definitely had. Yeah, it had its thing, but it was kind of extra narrative yeah, rather than intra narrative. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that was the influence of Eighty Days and realizing that actually it was better to pull things out of that's the text true. flow. That's true. That's true. And actually, yeah, exactly because. 
when you make these sort of mini games, even though they're kind of integrated into the flow, that you only experience them every so often rather than, than kind of mm. affecting the entire experience. Mm. Yeah, so it feels very different, even if, yeah. even if I, the amount of gameplay is actually the same. But I guess that's why we went after the kind of the 3D models in Sorcery 4 to make, give it more of a vertical structure. Mm. Mm. And I think, I mean, we, the original map that Mike delivered before we added the models was a flat yeah. map. And like it was pretty clear that it didn't work. Like mm. it was lots of rooftops and lots of buildings and you, mm. you talk about this massive imposing tower but all you've got is a circle <laughs> yeah. on a plane and there's not really anything you can do to solve that. So yeah, it was yeah. kind of, again, it was a feature that we sort of had to add yeah. um, for the map to make sense really. But I think one thing I was quite pleased with is that Sorcery 4 doesn't have any new mechanics in it. I know I saw a couple of reviews that were like, oh, well, it doesn't really innovate on Sorcery 3. Mm. And I think, well, actually, it's the end of a series. It needs to wrap up the series, not... Mm kind of be its own thing and so I was mm. quite pleased that it had the open world of Sorcery 3 and the kind of the city type setting of Sorcery 2 and mm -hmm. the mountains of Sorcery 1 and it kind of covers the whole thing yeah. it felt like a conclusion to me. Yeah. I hope no one was disappointed by that anyway but mm. um, I think it was more important to end the series than to Yeah and I mean anything. I really like the fact that it did interesting things narratively and kind of in the just within the tools that we had like the spell towers i loved in sorcery 4 i loved the feeling of this kind of crystal maze mm. atmosphere i don't know whether that's crystal british maze, reference that's exactly what it is i feel a long time i've been trying to think well, <laughs> right, you're right yeah. it is the crystal you have maze these little challenges and i love i love the way that they're sort of self-contained and you can walk around and try to solve them and that's not really any, anything that's in the previous games at all which and that that does give it a completely different mm. feeling yeah and a really puzzly feeling which yeah. I, I guess some people might not like because it might feel like it comes out of left field a little bit and mm, i don't know whether it's i'm, I'm reasonably happy with the way it's integrated i think it's narratively the coherent it makes sense that you would have these kind of experimentation rooms mm. in in the college towers that's that kind of fits and so i love the the way that fit fitted into mm. the narrative i guess I, when i when i was scoping that idea i imagined them being quite low key um, but Graham kept delivering these incredibly weird Like the scenarios. cat room. The cat room. The cat room is Graham's, it's Graham's pièce de résistance because everybody loves the cat room. I just remember like opening this file and just getting it loading, fixing the compilation. I was playing it. I was like, oh my God, there's a room full of cats. What's going on? Um, but then it's but, like, quite but Steve Jackson, Jackson, isn't it? It is it's very... Totally no, it is. Fits, That's right? true. That's true. And I think that, that slight element of humour is really... Yeah. important and in some ways three is quite a serious game compared mm. to two like two is full of like little urchins who pickpocket you and like mm. farting people and that sort of tone mm. of humor except steve would never mm. say fart no that's true he says breaks wind he, that was a piece <laughs> of feedback he gave us for book one it's the only piece <laughs> of feedback he's given us not quite that was the actionable feedback that's what we had to do um yeah no it's been quite it's been quite a journey right well um yeah, let's wrap it up there. Let's then. wrap up sorcery oh, and not talk about it. Oh, wrap oh, it up. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, yeah. It's official. No sorcery five. Mm. Well, the prequel. We're doing sorcery zero. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right. Give me a couple of months off the new project. That'll be nice. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening and thanks for playing. Yeah.